0: This is Joe and TJ with another episode of our One Thing series.
1: Our desire is that our One Thing series truly helps you to lead better and grow faster. Every month on our podcast, we feature a great guest always on the topic of leadership, and we blast it out to you from the schoolhouse302.com. Thank you, TJ.
0: Please share this with other leaders you know that are looking and craving to get better. Thank you. So here we are with our guests, Dr. Amy Cooper-Hakim. Thank you for being here with us, Amy.
2: Thank you for having me.
0: We welcome you to the show. Uh, this month, we are focused on mental strength, and we're very excited to have you on our podcast and discuss some of your work with us. This month, we wanted to take a deep dive into leadership. Um, and working through difficult times and with difficult people, and still remain productive. And we we feel your work speaks to us directly in education. Um, TJ, why don't you tell our audience a bit more about Amy?
1: Sure thing, Joe. Thanks for that. Our guest this month is Dr. Amy Cooper-Hakim. She has a PhD and is an industrial organizational psychology practitioner and workplace expert She's a speaker and author and the executive consultant and founder of the Cooper Strategic Group. She helps employees and employers to get along better and coaches leaders and employees to improve productivity, morale, satisfaction, and overall work-life balance. Her book, Working with Difficult People, provides clear strategies to effectively handle the 10 types of difficult bosses, colleagues, and subordinates. The book hit number one in sales at Amazon for business etiquette books and was highlighted in Pray Magazine. She is currently putting the finishing touches on her next book about work-life balance, which I'm sure we could all use a dose of right now as we deal with the crisis around the world. Dr. Amy has been featured in numerous publications, including the New York Times, Wall Street Journal, NBC News, Chicago Tribune. Vogue, Cosmopolitan, CNN, CNBC, Make It, and MSN. She has also been a guest on a variety of news and radio shows, and we're happy to have her here today. She has a blog at Psychology Today called Working with Difficult People, which is the title of her book. We're so thrilled for Amy to join us. So let's jump right in, Amy. Let's talk about working in difficult times, the times that we're in are difficult and with difficult people. As you are well aware, we're currently in a crisis which adds a tremendous amount of stress, anxiety, and fear among everyone in your book, Working With Difficult People. You identify a lot of difficult personalities and behaviors that people exhibit at at work. The reality is that these challenges and difficult behaviors are often magnitude uh, and exacerbated during a crisis what are some key strategies that leaders can use for themselves to stay mentally strong and focused during a crisis to lead effectively? And particularly when we're dealing with these different difficult uh, personalities, we want to hear anything that you might say about working productively with others and making a difference as a leader.
2: Sure. Well, so especially in this difficult time, it's especially important to take a step back and when possible, try to take emotion out of the situation. That's oftentimes easier said than done, but when we can stop thinking emotionally and reacting emotionally and rather react in a pragmatic or practical way, then we're able to lead more effectively. It doesn't mean that we should forget the emotional component. In fact, we should be incredibly empathetic Uh, especially during this time. But instead of letting emotions draw us and cause us to perhaps react in a manner which wouldn't be becoming, if we can stop and say, I appreciate that this person is probably in a difficult situation, let's instead focus our energy on getting these tasks done so that they can get back to the people and the things that are truly pressing right now. And we need to do the same thing for ourselves. We need to give ourselves a break. We need to recognize that there is that emotional component that is looming over us, whether it be anxiety about, uh, you know, the particulars of, of this pandemic that we're in, or whether it be the issue of, um, you know, having to uh, transition to a work from home situation, or dealing with, unfortunately, having to let employees go, or uh, you know, having to somehow manage every aspect of life now in one environment whether that be everyone working in the same space children learning uh, from home instead of going to a a brick and mortar establishment all of those things weigh in and can affect us very much so and sometimes we can let them anxiety and uh, and normal emotional reactions loom over us and impact the way that we handle day-to-day operations so if we can say there are so many things i cannot take control of there are so many things that are out of my my domain but here's what i can handle and put the emotional scary difficult anxious feelings to the side and then say here are the specific things that i can do in order to get my work done so that then when my mind is free and my to-do list is done I can then go back to dealing with, appropriately so, so many of these things that do uh, weigh on us and impact us emotionally. And that same concept is the way that we handle difficult people in general. When we are dealing with a difficult boss, a difficult colleague, we have to stop ourselves. We have to say, okay, there are certain things that I can control. There are certain things that I i can I can control my reaction, but I can't control the way that that person behaves or speaks or acts toward me, so I need to be able to put it in literally I'm actually drawing <laughs> in the air um, you know a table, things that I can handle are on the left side, and those things that are outside of my domain on the right and when we're able to do so, what we what we um, permit ourselves to do is to then focus directly on what we can handle, and then do so with quality, and then move on to the other aspects. The biggest challenge that people have is to make, I think, is to make that distinction, to say, here are the things that matter, here are the things that are very important to me, and here are the things that I can directly control, and here are those other things that I can't. And it doesn't minimize how important they are, but it does impact where I can focus my energy and when. And when we can put things into designated buckets, so to speak, then we're able to quickly knock off the various items on our to-do list, and then we can focus on the other things. I'll give you a specific example um, as it relates to being a leader um, in an organization or an employee um, in an organization. Let's say that you are, uh, during this pandemic, you know, concerned, rightly so, about what is going on, the latest figures, the latest data, um, you know, different things that are happening in the immediate community, friends or loved ones who may be affected, and you, you have work to do, and you still have to get that done. So how do you do both? Well, something that's easy to do is to place in a bucket list, and you'll say, here are the specific things that I need to do, and I'm going to allow myself set minutes hour where I can surf the internet or watch the news or chat with a loved one but otherwise I'm going to get my work done so I'm going to be very pragmatic about it and then I'm going to free myself up for the other portion when I have my downtime to do what I wish whether that be to take a walk outside or to um, spend that time you know scouting the the websites to learn the latest or to someone um, who we care or love about.
0: Amy, that's fantastic. Just to reiterate, there's two things that I really took away from that. And one is to uh, really create almost like a T-chart of those things you can handle and are in your Mm -hmm. locus of control. And then there's things that really aren't in your control that really shouldn't be worried about and let them go. And the other is this bucket list of things you have to accomplish um, but really, also set time aside, almost discipline yourself that you're only going to surf the internet, or you're only going to watch so much um, news for for time times of the day, so you don't get so wrapped up with this. And it's easy to do um, sometimes. And I don't know if you can speak to this a little more. And I love those two key points. We get hijacked, though, by our emotions and and sometimes these techniques fall by the wayside. Um do you have any other specific because I've been working with so many people and and t j as well you know we hear this often that really a little bit of time had passed before they had even realized
1: that mm-hmm. they
0: were emotionally hijacked <laughs> you know and it,
2: it's so it's so common, and I'm actually getting um Calls and emails pretty regularly these days, especially as people are transitioning to a home-based environment to get their work done because there are just distractions. And we don't necessarily even know that we've been distracted like you're indicating until after the fact. But something that I like to do is actually set a timer on my phone. So I use my smartphone um, with alarms and I I set an alarm five minutes before a meeting, but I also set an alarm every hour to give myself a five-minute break. And I literally tell myself, I will not check an email, I will not respond to a text message, I will not do anything until I hit that 55 minute mark uh, on the hour. And then I take that five minute break. Uh, And and it works well, uh, because then you can lose yourself. And so with regard to setting boundaries, if you are in an environment say like you're in this home-based type situation now where you're working from home, Um, I happen to have my husband working from home um, and my three kids, one high schooler, one middle schooler, and one elementary school kid all at home in our space. And we love spending time together. And my kids love visiting me. And they know when they can see me for a quick second and when they'll get that undivided time. And so I think it's really important to um, to let people know what your boundaries are and let them know why uh, you know share that if you know especially in this type of a situation if you're going to be pulled um, and and then you know your emotions are are there and, and they're tied in because you you want to listen or you want to um, be a supportive friend or um, colleague or you know loved one, um, the best thing to do is to say, I, if this is quick, I've got some time, but if not, I'm available and I'm yours from this time to this time. And even set that time in your schedule. Give yourself the permission to have an hour or you know, three, 20 minute breaks throughout the day. That way you can not feel like you're jipping anyone um, or yourself of that much needed emotional break. Um, where you can give yourself um, freedom to, to feel and to you know, invest emotionally and get lost if needed. Um, give yourself that time um, so that when, then when you go back, you are ready to get your work done. It's, the problem is when we feel like we're being pulled at and tugged at, uh, that we can't effectively um, adhere to those boundaries. So we have to know what we need for ourselves and uh, and and get it and and then set the boundaries around it. So, for instance, if you have a very big, bustling household, or you happen to be an avid news watcher in general, or you know, you know that you need to be up to date because otherwise you will be too anxious to work. Uh, perhaps you get up an hour earlier to scour the websites, or you devote, you know, a specific amount of time during the middle of the day. Uh, to watch your favorite news hour. So whatever, whatever the case is, give yourself that freedom, but then also set a, a very, um, just as if you were, you know, you were being told by by a teacher or by a boss, you know, you may not use your phone during this period. Well, then you can't and you need to put it to the side. And obviously, if there's a true emergency, um, you'll be alerted or, or notified, and then you can handle it accordingly. But otherwise, Uh, give yourself that freedom. And you'll find that when you spend devoted minutes, you actually get so much more done than starting and stopping. And that's actually how I explained it to my nine-year-old who is now home, you know, 24-7 and who loves to spend time with me. And I love to spend time with her. But I explained that um, if she comes and there's a, a legitimate concern or issue, I'm available. But if not, if she wants me to have even more time um, in the afternoon, I need to have my dedicated blocks of, of time to work. And so I think that it's really, we have to make that um, specific um, promise to ourselves, that we are going to give, give our, our attention, the, our work, the, the attention that it needs, the, the specific tasks, the attentions that they deserve. And then we have the freedom and the flexibility to lose ourselves. Um, emotionally in whatever it is that is of interest, whether it be surfing the web um, or not. But once you start going down that path, it's sometimes very, very hard to uh, come out. I actually, an example, I, I'm not sure if you're Facebook people or not, but I um, reserve very limited times to get on Facebook because inevitably I start clicking and looking and I see all of these really you know, cool things, friends I haven't seen or or videos I watch and all of a sudden 30 minutes or an hour has gone by so I do that literally one morning on the weekend and otherwise I I can't permit myself to go there because I know if I do I will be very um I'll, I'll lose time and it may not be productive time but it doesn't mean that I don't want to click and, and say happy birthday to someone or, or whatnot and so setting the specific boundaries helps me because I know my own my own limits. Um, but let's say that you love that and that brings you tremendous joy, then put that into your schedule and, uh, and, you know, but just don't, don't check it all the time, every, every second, just maybe that would be what you do on your five minute downtime per hour.
0: That's excellent, Amy. I, I love the fact how you mentioned a few key things here. Planning is critical, devoted minutes. And you're absolutely right. We can find ourselves lost in some wormholes, whether it's Facebook, Twitter, things that captivate us and and we, we get lost in. Um, Excellent response, and I think there's some gems that our audience will definitely take away. Um, With that, we'd love to switch uh, gears to our five one thing series leadership questions. Um, Knowing that you just stress so much about having boundaries, priorities, planning your day, um, you also mentioned this level of freedom associated with that, um, and maybe some of that freedom you you delve into other great thinkers, who's one person or group who you follow for either knowledge or inspiration, and where could we find them?
2: Well, the one person who comes to mind is um, actually my grandmother. I'm not sure, you can't find her anymore. She passed away um, many years ago, but she was a a true inspiration for me. She um, taught me all about uh, effective time management and being pragmatic. She actually is the person who encouraged me to go into the fields of industrial psychology. Uh, But she taught me that there are different people for different purposes in this world. And um, some are those you may go to a movie with, or some are those you may um, discuss history with. Some are those you may, um, you know, read a book and talk about or talk about fashion or whatnot or or cook or drink coffee with. And everyone doesn't have to serve all the purposes and what we need in order to be fulfilled in life. We can actually find different people for different pockets. And when we recognize that, um, then we can also better allocate our time with regard to how often we might spend time with that person or when we should. And also she emphasized that it's so important to spend time with people who make us feel good and who bring out the good in us. And um, I think that when we take relationships at face value and we fully appreciate and respect what comes from a particular relationship, then we can give to that relationship and be open to receive uh, from that relationship. And so, um, anyway, so her name was Muriel Solomon. She happens to have been an author, um, and she is the co-author of my book, Working with Difficult People. So, but she also has a number of books that she wrote um, about management and consulting. And she was—I—I um, I, I approached the book publisher when I found out that her book was still selling and realized that it was outdated, um, in that there weren't any. Um, mentions of things that are more common in today's world um, such as narcissists or (laughs) pessimists or people who are looking at their smartphones instead of looking you in the eye when you're trying to get their attention and so I was able to um, embark on a really special project where I um, revised and modernized what uh, she had written so many years ago and it was just a very special project I got to add to her legacy and um, and do something that was truly meaningful for me.
1: That's awesome. And thank you for sharing that uh, personal story and, and about your grandmother. What's the name of the book, if you don't mind, uh, that you, you got to revise of hers?
2: Oh, Working with Difficult People.
1: Oh, okay. So that's the, <laughs> that's the one that you um, revised. So she was the original author on the she work. She was the and-
2: original author of that book. And she also wrote a number of other books. Uh, One that I loved was called, What Do I Say When? And it was um, a compendium of of just different examples um, and responses that you might um, share in response to different questions and things that people ask you if you were in an uncomfortable situation, how to get yourself out of it uh, while being practical and uh, tactical in your approach. She was very kind and warm and giving, but she was very pragmatic. And, and I, I actually think I'm very much like that, you know, let's, let's matter of fact, talk about the issue. And then we can, like we were speaking of at the start of this uh, podcast, you know, then that's when we, once we are able to, to get some to the nitty gritty, then we can, you know, weave back in the emotional component that makes us human, and not just cogs in a wheel. Uh, so.
1: That's great stuff. What do you think drove her? I mean, what do you think um, drove her thinking and her passion around what do I say when and dealing with difficult people. I mean, we can see how you were inspired by her. Uh, what, what do you think inspired her to to create a, a work like that?
2: Well, she was a very um, special person who was really ahead of her time. Um, she graduated high school at the age of 16. She managed a bank. She had a syndicated column in the Miami Herald. I mean, she was just um, very unique, especially for a woman and, and, you know, that era Um, was, so she was just, she was taught to be who she was and and to use her brain and, you know, and, and again, to use her, her kindness and her empathy as well. But, you know, I think that through her experiences, dealing in the business place and, and realizing that there were difficult, difficult people, um, recognizing that people were coming to her for advice. um, I think it really helped her to say, well, gosh, maybe I should just be writing this down. And, uh, and so she did. And, and it really, it was, it was neat. People would call her all the time and just say, Hey, what do you think I should do about this or that? Um, And it was, it was, it was just really nice to see and to be a part of, um, and, and it's, I, I appreciate it. One of the biggest compliments I get is if someone says that I'm like her.
1: Well, that's a fun story, and, and again, thanks for sharing it. And uh, I, you you definitely have already shared with us that you are like her when it, we're in the middle of a crisis and folks are calling you and saying, you know, what should I do about this? So <laughs> congratulations. Um, Thank you. So um, pivoting over, what's in, you've mentioned some things that people can try in their day to um, take the emotion out of the equation for sure. Um, our next question is, what's one thing that people should do on a more regular basis that might make a difference uh, in their life? So any other advice that you would add to to that equation and especially given the times that we're in?
2: Sure. I think that It's very important to um, establish a practice of gratitude. So one exercise that I encourage my clients to do is to actually come up with three specific things each day where they can say, I am grateful for this. Now, when we used to drive on the way to work, it might be I'm grateful that I didn't hit too many red lights, or I'm grateful that my coffee tastes great doesn't have to be something huge uh, in order to feel grateful. And but when we when we focus and start our day trying our best to find not one, but three specific things, where we can say I am grateful. uh, What that does is it actually really pivots the way that we look at life and we look at our daily tasks because we can almost spend our time searching for uh, something good or something about which we can feel uh, some semblance of gratitude for instead of necessarily feeling more negative or pessimistic. And it, it's a huge shift that's really easy when we just say, "What am I grateful for?" And you can do this exercise throughout the day and jot it down, uh, or you could before before going to bed say, "Okay, what are three things uh, about which I'm grateful?" And um, and then either write them down or you know create a word document. Um, but it's it's also nice to reflect back. And some people make it a challenge to not repeat the same the same things you can't be grateful for your coffee every day Uh, others say nope as long as i'm grateful for my coffee and my not seeing the red lights or, or whatnot then that's that's good too but it's it's incredible when you actually stop and say gosh you know i'm grateful for the the bright sunny sky or i'm grateful that i have food on my on my table um when we can stop and do that then i think that we have a more positive outlook And approach to life.
0: Yeah, I don't think we could agree more, Amy, with that. We uh, just in our last um, blog post last month, we featured a, a tip of journaling each day. And one of that part of that journal, we in a technical tip, we discussed the five minute journal. But one one thing that has really resonated with TJ and I with that um, the five minute journal is that it begins every day with what are you grateful for, and I think we 've seen the same result that, as you say, we pivot, we just simply mm-hmm. pivot to what we appreciate versus all the other things that easily seep into our mind on that might be bothering us, worrying us, and so on it 's nice just to take a minute and think about that thing that we we uh, may take for granted, but we should really be appreciative of. Um, so it's, we're we're glad to hear you say that. Um, let me ask you this, Amy, is there one thing that you want to know or be able to do that you don't already?
2: It's funny that you asked me this. If you would have asked me yesterday, I would have had had something on my to do list., uh, I cut my teenage son's hair <laughs> for the first time, and I did not know how to do that. I actually had to. Um, I purchased a, a trimmer, came in Amazon, and I watched some videos, tutorials, and, and I realized um, it was a good learning lesson for my kids um, who watched me um, effectively trim his hair. Um, and my husband's not been so brave yet, <laughs> but my son did agree to it. And um, and it was, but I think that, that the important thing is to not um, shut yourself out and say, I can't do this, but rather... This might be challenging. Um, let me rely on the knowledge and the expertise of those who are skilled and learn from it. So I think that we're in such a a great uh, time technologically, where so much is at our fingertips, and we're able to to explore any new concept or idea uh, that might um, you know float our fancy and and um, and explore it. But yes, I was super proud of my son's haircut, so that was something I just learned i don't think i'll get much more skilled than that but <laughs> but it was definitely something that was fun it's fun to to branch out and expand our horizons
1: yeah and we're living in such an important time where people are going to have to learn how to do that stuff because the places where we used to go to have some services like that are shut or the advice is to not go there so it's a, an interesting thing to uh, embark on
2: i actually love to do things when I, I mean, there are certain things, obviously, where I have, I have a degree or a skill set or experience, and I'm known for doing x, y, and z, that I need to perform at 100% or even 150%. And I, I place, um, you know, really high standards for myself. But when it comes to something, that I may not have that skill set um, in, or I may not have expertise or, or truly an understanding of when I go at, at it, I know that I can do it for the sake of enjoyment or for, you know, what the purpose of helping someone else, like helping my son. Um, you know, I'm not an artist. I don't know how to cut. I mean, I even basic (laughs) basic cutting with construction paper, I would not be the right person to choose. And so to, to be tasked with that was a challenge, but it was something that was meaningful to me. Similarly, when I was in school, I played on the basketball team and I was definitely not a basketball star, but, learning a new skill and enjoying the camaraderie and knowing that I don't have to live up to an element of perfection or even excellence, but just doing something for the sake of doing it and enjoying that moment, I think can also be something that's very special. And in today's world, when we're so focused on perfection, um, whether it be the perfect picture or the perfect post, um, there's something very nice about learning and doing for the sake of that.
1: Well, and I think that's a call to action for our audience to um, to learn or do something new that's a challenge for yourself, that's not within your skill set, um, that doesn't come naturally, but that can fulfill your life, have a sense of enjoyment, and also help others. And this is a perfect time to do that when everybody's at home. And so I'm going to use that as a as a moment just to say, for our, our audience to, to take that as a call to action. Um, and so then what's, you know, as a, as a leader as somebody who's willing to take challenges like that, um, and feel comfortable with it. What's the one thing that led to or continues to support your growth as a leader that others might be able to replicate?
2: I think the specific, um, advice that I could give there is, to remember the importance of grit and resilience. We are built so that we can bounce back and we shouldn't let failure be something that stops or thwarts us. Rather, when we make a mistake, when we don't get the result we're looking for, when we're able to self-reflect or ask others for feedback and then take that and move forward, we end up getting to where we didn't think we could get. Um, and so I think that we don't want to look at failure in a negative way, but rather as a step toward um, that great accomplishment. And I think it, it's again a mindset and a shift. Um, but when I um, I've always, I think, been been sort of wired that way, where, um, you know, when I when I don't get the results I'm looking for it doesn't mean I stop fully. Um, It means I try to attack it from a different angle. And I think that's the biggest gift that we can give to our children uh, to teach them about resilience and grit. I think that's the biggest gift that we can give to our employees. Um, And I think that's the biggest gift we can give to ourselves.
0: Amy, do you have any specific strategies on how to do that because I, I agree with you a hundred percent. I just know it's it's if you're going down a road and you're getting beat up a little bit and it's it's hard to find that resilience and even mention it's kind of how you're wired and and just naturally comes to you but in so many ways in in our field of education that's what we want like we want our students you know even if they get a bad grade or a poor performance that bounce back like learning is about growing but sometimes Mm -hmm. those experiences cause us to shut down is there a way to protect us so we still protect ourselves emotionally from the hurt but in a way that it's not warding off opportunity and we can stay open to growth.
2: I think it really comes with experience. And as parents and educators, it's important to remind our um, students specifically that, you know, failure is, it's literally a step toward something greater. We can either learn to fail or fail to learn. I tell my kids that all the time. Um, and I think that, you know, we have to learn to fail and we have to learn and recognize what that means. It doesn't mean that we should accept failure and live in with mediocrity. It means we should recognize why we didn't do something correctly so that we can do better. Someone who's um, a true star, someone who has perfected this um, concept of resiliency, I think, is one who will ask for that criticism, will ask for that critique, doesn't mean that he or she isn't excited and thrilled with a performance. But if you think of, well, my daughter is, um, <laughs> the one who I was telling you about who comes in um, and interrupts me. <laughs> so she's nine, uh, but she was in the school play. And she is um, very, very special when it comes to her musical ability and her acting and such. And my, uh, my middle daughter is as well but my littlest one, um, I knew she had it in her. I knew she had that resilience. When she got off the stage, I was watching the dress rehearsal and she looked at me and she said, okay, I know I did great, but where can I improve? And I think that that's the key. The key isn't to, to speak negatively about ourselves only to say, Oh my gosh, I can't believe I didn't do this. No no way this was not this was not awesome this was not excellent. Nothing about my performance met these standards. Rather, it's better to say I'm proud of the fact that I accomplished this in a particular time, that I completed my test on time, that I completed this exercise in its entirety. However, while I got these issues right, I know that I could do better here. And I think we need to encourage people to look for those red marks on a paper to ask for how they can do better, how they can improve by speaking to people who are better than themselves. I think when we live and think that we are the best, uh, we end up not giving ourselves the opportunity to learn from those who truly are um, better or more skilled than than we in particular areas. And I think that's the key. You know, the key is uh, top leaders surround themselves with people who complement their skill set. Uh, they don't need to be the best at everything if they are able to surround themselves with people who can help them to refine and improve and make better choices. So I think we need to just specifically frame ourselves, frame our questions so that we, um, without necessarily pushing ourselves down, allow it to lift us up by recognizing our strengths and then focusing on those specific areas of opportunity.
0: Very powerful, Amy. Thank you. I, I think our listeners will get a lot out of that, um, and hopefully, be lifted up by that. What our final question, Amy, is: What's the one thing that you used to think that you don't think anymore?
2: That that's a hard question uh, for me um, because I, my, I I don't have any any. Um, story like for instance oh I used to think that you know that, that the world was, was good and now I think otherwise or I used to think the world was bad and now I think otherwise I really have, have um, pretty much stayed true to my thought process throughout um, and I've lived my life based on many of the principles that we've talked about um, during this podcast
1: well that was fantastic what i really like about the the interview is like the granular strategies for anyone listening um including you know staying true to your values and so thank you for that last answer and what joe and i always say is that leadership might be complex but it doesn't have to be complicated and and every single answer today there's a there's a call to action or there's something that you can do for yourself, do differently. Do to help others. Do to lead better and grow faster. Amy, is there anything else that you would like to add today for our listeners?
2: Yeah, just thank you so much for including me and uh, for asking such interesting and pointed questions. And um, if anyone um, you know needs me, I'm available <laughs> on all the social media platforms um, during my set times off. <laughs> <laughs> And, uh, but, but really I just wish, um, you know, especially in today's time, um, you know, take time for yourself, um, during, during especially difficult moments like we're facing now with this pandemic, I think it's especially important to, um, be flexible with yourself, um, and, uh, give yourself some of that leniency that you, um, extend to others, um, and, and practice self-care.
1: A great final point in, um, and just giving uh grace for yourself and others and in this in this time of need. And so thank you. We will link back to your uh, social media platforms and the work you do and dealing with difficult people uh, as a as a as a resource. So there you have it, everyone. Another great podcast. Don't forget to follow the blog at the schoolhouse302.com for blog posts, podcasts, and video blogs all on the topic of leadership. And we hope you enjoyed this one thing series on how to work with others during difficult times and so much more. Amy, thank you for joining us on the show today.
2: Thank you for having me.